Well, Brother Prado is no stranger to this church, and he was here long before many of us helping dig out the work that is in the Northwest. And what I know about him is limited, but I do know that he's a man that can walk in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And that's what will happen today. Brother Prado, we love you. We appreciate you. Give your hands, hand clap of praise unto the Lord for the man of God. Amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus a great big hand clap of praise. Somebody say, praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, the book of Joshua, the 18th chapter. And as you're turning there, let me say how good it is to be here in Cornerstone. Praise God in the wonderful, chilly city of Spokane. And uh, praise the Lord. I flew in from California and uh, we had just a little bit more sunshine uh, than you all have right now. But uh, I'm very glad to be here. It's been, a, it's been several years since I've preached here in November. Uh, I used to, uh, those of you that remember, I used to preach yearly revivals here in November. And uh, I remember the first time I felt it go before below zero. And uh, that was a memory I'll have with me the rest of my life. Praise God. And uh, I love the snow, but at a distance. So, uh, but uh, glad that uh, I'm here with the wonderful people of God. Good to see um, all the wonderful faces and the new faces. Praise the Lord. It's a good day to serve God. It's a good day to serve God. And uh, we send you big greetings from our church in Alameda, California. And uh, my wife loves Spokane and Cornerstone. We're glad that the Brother Mayo trusted me to be here while he's gone. I just saw him on Friday night uh, there at Brother Booker's church. And uh, it was good to see him and Sister Mayo. So let's get into the word of the Lord. Book of Joshua chapter 18. We're going to just read uh, from verses 2 to 4. How many love the Lord? Amen. Book of Joshua chapter 18 verses 2 through 4. Say amen when you have it. The Bible says, And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack? to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, I'm going to preach to you for just a few moments this morning on this subject, the dangers of living without a promise. The dangers of living without a promise. Can we say that together? The dangers of living without a promise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's powerful and it is anointed. Lord, we pray that that anointing would be transferred onto us. And I pray, God, that there'd be a great sensitivity to your spirit here today. Lord, I believe with all of my heart that you've brought somebody here today to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I pray, God, that you would fill them full of your spirit like they've never experienced heretofore. We believe you. We know that you can do it. We're trusting you to do it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Someone shout a healthy amen. Give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise before you're seated. Amen. <clears throat> the people who are modernly known to us as Jews... We're not always known as Jews. In fact, in Scripture, uh, they have several different names. And their first name is Hebrew. Then they will be called Israelites. And then finally, they are called Jews. But the Hebrews began as a nomadic people. They began traveling uh, from one place to another with no real homeland. Their earliest ancestor, who most today would know is Abraham, was a man who himself traveled throughout the desert with his entire family and later his tribe. His children and grandchildren, Isaac and Jacob, were no different. 
they too traveled from one end of the wilderness to the other. All of that changed, however, because of a man named Joseph. Joseph, as many of you know, was the son of Jacob. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold as a slave into Egypt. And after several years, he would solicit the gathering of his family who were spread throughout the desert into the country of Egypt. A total of them was counted at somewhere around 70. And they came into Egypt at first as welcomed guests. But later they were hated and enslaved for a little over 400 years. And God's response to this enslavement of his people was to raise up a man by the name of Moses. God used Moses to get Israel out of Egypt and on their way to the promised land. But there was a problem. There was a problem. Even though God was able to get the Israelites out of Egypt, he was not able to get Egypt out of the Israelites. They were stubborn. They were stiff-necked, as the scripture calls them. They constantly dreamed of a world that never existed. They had illusions of the way things were back in Egypt. And every time they got in trouble, they wanted to go back. They felt more at home in their old ways than they did charting new paths. But they continued forward. And a trip that should have only taken 11 days ended up taking 40 years not because they had a broken compass or a bad sense of direction, but because they were disobedient. And when you are disobedient, you will go through the same trials over and over and over again. And if disobedience has any real sting to it, it's in the fact that you will know where you're supposed to be, but you won't know how to get there. It's important to be obedient. And I know that that's a big bad word for a lot of people today. A lot of people think that, particularly of religious groups, that they use that word to control people. But the fact of the matter is that God is the standard. And God demands obedience. And obedience is desired by God. And there's plenty of scripture for it. And can someone say Amen. This generation of Israelites that traveled around the wilderness for 40 years, amen, died in the wilderness simply because they refused to believe God. God was set on them entering the promised land. They were going to go. Their unwavering commitment to unbelief and disbelief Amen, was not going to stop God from fulfilling his end of the bargain. And so what ended up happening was an entire generation of Israelites died in the wilderness. And the only people left over were their children. And the children of this generation, amen, were spared. The Lord, however, was very upset with the Israelites because they said something to God in the book of Numbers 14. They said something to God that God found totally unacceptable. Not only did they tell God, we cannot take possession of the promised land. They told God, our children are going to die. Our children are going to die. And little did they know that they were the ones that were going to die. And in Numbers 14 and 31, the Lord says, but your little ones which you said should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. These little ones, which eventually became adults, lived under an unimaginable amount of stress and instability. They wandered the deserts just like their parents, moving from one place to another, and they grew accustomed to not having a place to call home. This instability would not have been a problem had their parents shield them, shielded them from it. But they did not. 
And as we just read, their parents made it worse by telling them that on top of wandering, they would be the victims and prey of people mightier, stronger, wealthier, and more powerful than they. God's response to this was to raise up a man by the name of Joshua and use him to lead the Israelites into the promised land and away from the pessimism of their parents. These children who were now adults and separated from their parents and under Joshua's leadership were eager to take on the challenges of becoming more than their parents imagined and all that God had promised. The fact that it meant strict obedience to God, fighting giants and growing food in the desert did not bother them. They were excited that they finally had a place to call home even if their new home came with new challenges. This generation of Israelites understood a very simple concept. There are no easy options when it comes to making a better life for yourself. You either work hard to make it or you work hard to, get to not get crushed under the weight of not making it. Jesus one time gave a parable about a man who built his house on a rock and another one who built his house on the sand. And I think the thing we forget is that whether you build on a rock or you build on sand, you're going to build. You're going to build. And so you might as well use your energy, your resources, your efforts, and all your emotional fortitude to build on the rock. Because there's no easy options. In our opening verse, there's a big problem. There's a big problem. The Israelites have entered into the promised land known as Canaan. And immediately they start sprawling out. And they start taking territories, fighting giants, domesticating uh, what looked like uninhabitable land. And they're doing great. And Joshua is patiently waiting to get his piece of land. Joshua was a good leader. He knows how to stand at the front of the line and at the back of the line. He can lead and he can wait. And he's waiting for all the Israelites to take their land. Days go by, months go by, and he finally gets tired and he gets upset. And in 18 and 2, he tells us that there are seven tribes who have not taken possession of their land. There's only 12 tribes of Israel to begin with. That means that over half of the 12 tribes are not taking possession of the promises God has given them. This is a big problem. First of all, Joshua tells them in verse number three, how long will you be slack? How long will you be slack? The word slack there is relaxed. How long will you be relaxed? Joshua is uneasy with how relaxed they are, especially in light of the fact that there's some big property waiting for them, because where they are is not where they're supposed to be. They're standing in front of Joshua, twiddling their thumbs. Meanwhile, there's promises to be secured. There's promises to be taken, but instead, they are standing around relaxed. And I know I'm kind of starting off slow here. We're going to get somewhere tonight. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. These seven tribes are like the workers in Jesus' parable in Matthew number 20, who are standing around completely relaxed, even though they haven't worked all day. And the day is almost over. Both in Jesus' parable, as well as in Joshua chapter 18, God refuses to let people be relaxed when there's work to be done. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, anytime you are too relaxed is dangerous. It's dangerous. You don't ever want to be too relaxed, especially about the promises of God. If God has ever given you a promise, and he has, it's called the Bible. There's 66 books in it, praise God, with plenty of promises in there, but there are times and occasions where God will give you a direct promise. 
And if God gives you a direct promise, or if you are ever reading your Bible, and you know that the scripture you're reading is being used to speak to you specifically, I am telling you right now that the worst thing you could ever do is be relaxed about it. You better come to church shouting. You better go to work shouting. You better come home from school shouting. You better be in the house shouting. You better be enthusiastic. You better be emotional about it. You better be excited about it. You better be... Because a promise from God is a big deal. I've seen people make it through divorce with a promise. I've seen people raise kids by themselves with a promise. I've seen people make it through diabetes and dialysis with a promise. I've seen people walk through the valley of the shadow of death with a promise. I've seen people... This beautiful building was built on a promise. Amen. The next building will be on promises. Praise God. We're preaching on promises. We're praying on promises. We're living by promises. Come on. I'm telling you, promises are a big deal. If God makes you a promise, you can't be relaxed about the promise. I just had to be honest with you. Not all times are equal. Not all times are equal. And in case nobody's told you, we are living in the end times. And I don't care what you believe about prophecy, we are in the end times. Amen. We have been in the end times since the book of Acts chapter 2. Because it said in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. God is pouring out his spirit. We are in the end times. And when you are in the end times, you definitely can't be relaxed. Amen. When the sun is set, we're running out of time, but we can't afford to run out of breath. I'm just telling you, you got to stay enthusiastic. You got to stay excited. You got to stay hungry. You got to stay. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm just going to, I'm excuse a personal reference, but, uh, uh, I have a mother-in-law. She's in her 70s now. Praise God. And you would think that as she was nearing the end of her life, she'd be more relaxed. She'd be more confident. And she is. She's plenty confident in all the promises that God has given her. But I'll tell you what, every time we start church, she's the first one dancing. She's the first one running the aisles. She's more excited now about the promises of God than ever. I'm telling you, there is no retire mode in living for God. There's only refire mode. Praise God. You got to stay enthusiastic. You got to stay... Hey, I know stuff happens. I know, I know stuff happens. People get sick. There's funerals. There's divorces. Amen. There's bankruptcies. There's, 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 there's all kinds of wacky stuff. Amen. That can happen in life. But one thing that cannot happen in your life is you become relaxed and slack about the promises of God. I don't care what you're going through. I care what you're going through. But I'm just going to let you know that what you're going through does not negate the promises that God has made you throughout your life. Amen. Hallelujah. You're still. I know some of you have been through a whole lot, and the devil's telling you just to stay stuck on the pew. Amen. To fold up. Don't do that, saint of God. Amen. God has been too good to you through the years. God made you some promises at youth conferences. Amen. That you still got to see come to pass. Maybe it's been 10 years. Maybe it's been 20 years. My Bible tells me that he is faithful. That promise. Uh, his promises are still good. His promises still. Uh, somebody give God some praise right now. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just praise him right now. Let's get out of that relaxed mode. Let's shake the slack off in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hey, I, I, this is not part of my notes. A lot of people don't want to take possessions and promises and bring them, pull them into their life. And there's a lot of reasons for it. There's a lot of reasons for it. And one of the main reasons for it is that people know internally that if they bring in the promises of God to their life, 
it's going to require them to sustain a certain type of intensity. It's going to require them to sustain a certain type of intensity. And whether we like it or not, some of us, I know, I know, I could speak for myself. Outwardly, I may not be lazy about a lot of things, but inwardly and emotionally, I can be very lazy about a lot of things. It's getting quiet on me, praise God. That's fine. Me, I, I could do this at my own cost, praise God. Uh, but I'm telling you, there are some emotional things that I'm just not very excited about doing. There are some emotional things that I have to really push myself. I may not be lazy about waking up in the morning. I may not be lazy about doing what I'm supposed to do throughout the day. I may not be lazy. In fact, I tell you, I'm diligent about my business. However, when it comes to emotional things, man, I really got to stir it up. I really got to work on myself. Praise God. And some of us are like that. We We have to push ourselves. And, you know, it usually shows up, at least for the married folk, it shows up in little things like your wife telling you, can you please just hold my hand? It's getting quiet on me, praise God, hallelujah. It's rough, man, hallelujah. Some people don't want to do that because it takes effort. And for the ladies, the pastors will tell you, you got to forgive your husband. Praise God, I got one amen. (laughs) Those things take emotional effort. And we don't like to exert emotional effort. We don't, like, we don't like to push ourselves when it comes to the emotional stuff. We don't like to push ourselves when it comes to the stuff that we got to grind it out in the depths of our soul. But I'm telling you, you good, precious people of God, the promises God makes you are worth every bit of grinding and wrestling and fighting and, and effort and energy. It's worth it. I'm telling you it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. I'm preaching to somebody right now in the Holy Ghost. In just a few short months, you're going to be driving down the road in Spokane, weeping your eyes out, glad that you pushed yourself a little bit more about some promises God has made you. I'm preaching to somebody right now that in the next six months, your life is going to be taking a turn. Hallelujah. All because you begin to push yourself a little bit more emotionally. You lifted your hands a little bit more. You lifted your voice a little bit more. You prayed a little bit more. Hey, here's the good news. God's not asking you to do a whole lot more. He's just asking you to do a little bit more. He's asking you to smile a little bit more. He's asking you to put some joy on you a little bit more. He's asking you to get a little more. Oh, somebody give God a little bit more praise. Hey, I know, th- I know this may sound wild to somebody, and I'm going to preach here in a second. I know this may sound wild to some people, but there are people here, you're good people. You're good people, but you're actually afraid of walking in promises because you're not sure that how you're going to build on that promise is going to look good. Because what you build on promises reveals a lot about you. Proverbs 14, 30 through 31 says, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. In other words, Solomon is saying, I've walked by the house of people who were promised some things. And what they built on those promises revealed a lot about them. And a lot of us are afraid that if, your life ever improves and situations get good, you'll mess it up up there. Can I just comfort you for a second? You're not going to mess it up up there. Can I just tell you for a second that if all you do is just sustain your intensity and your love for God and your love for your family and your love for the word of God and, 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 just, and just do the one, two, threes of Christianity, you're not going to fail up there. You're going to do good up there. You're going to thrive up there. Your house is not going to crumble. Your house is not going to fall. You won't lose that better job. You won't lose that. Uh, 
Hey, can I tell you, your children will not backslide. Your grandchildren will not backslide. Hey, can I tell you, you're going to graduate. Hey, can I tell you, you will be the first person in your family to own a home. Can I tell you, you will be the first person in your family to graduate from college. Hey, what's wrong with this? I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to edify you. I'm trying to encourage you that you can actually rise. You can actually get up. You can actually... Hey, come on. Hey, you... Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Yes. Yes. Come on. Somebody praise God like things are going to get better. Somebody praise God. Hey, you're going to get it out of debt. You're not going back in debt. You're going to. Hallelujah. You know, Joshua said, you guys are too chill about this. Y'all are too chill. You're not excited enough. You ain't doing nothing. You're standing here just looking at me. Number one. I want to get mine. Number two, y'all are just too chill. And this is a big deal because life has to keep moving forward. I think one of the worst parts about this story is that the reason they weren't going out to take more land is because they had gotten used to living without promises. They got used to it. They got used to it. They said, you know what? It's actually okay to live a little down here. It's not too bad. There's not as many giants. You don't have to fight. You just, you just kind of survive. Right down here. You, you, don't, you don't have to balance your checkbook. Praise God, I got real quiet on that one, praise God. You don't have to budget. You don't, you don't have to have family night. Praise God. You don't, have to, you don't have to go to church three times a week. You don't have to fast in December. I was shocked. Some of you were clapping about fasting in December. I'm cold right now. <laughs> it's it's kind of nice to live without promises. Because, you know, promises come with responsibilities. And you know what responsibility is. It's the ability to respond. And if you don't, if you don't like responding to everything that happens in life, then, yeah, it's kind of nice to live a little closer to the bottom. It's kind of nice to live down there. But can I tell you, it's dangerous. It's downright dangerous to live without promises in your life. It's downright dangerous to live without the promises of God in your life. And I'm just going to preach to you for the next few moments that there are some promises God has made all of us. And we got to get excited about it today. And I don't know how much I'm going to get through this. I'm okay with not getting through all of it. A few weeks ago, I was praying. And uh, something that's never happened to me happened to me. It was horrible. I was, uh, I was in a hotel and I was praying like I normally pray. I was not raised in church, for the record. And uh, those of you that know me know this. I was not raised in church. Uh, I didn't come to church until I was 18. And uh, my life was pretty bad, pretty bad. Uh, by 18, I had already attempted suicide twice. And uh, it wasn't because I was lonely and didn't have friends. Uh, none of that. Everything was going okay. But not on the inside. There was a big God-shaped hole in my soul. And nothing could fill it. And I got so frustrated that nothing could fill it. I'm talking about the dangers of living without a promise. 
And I'm going to preach to you just for a few seconds about the promise of the Holy Spirit or the promise of the Holy Ghost. You can't live without the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost in your life. I'm just telling you. You need... Hey, in the next few minutes, there are people here, you're going to grow a little bit in your appreciation for the Holy Ghost. And sometimes we got to shake ourselves and remind ourselves, amen, that we got a precious gift from God unlike any other thing, amen, that God could ever give us. And it's called the Holy Ghost. It's his spirit living inside of us. Hey, when I first came to church, you know, this good brother right here standing up, waving his arms, that bothered me. It doesn't bother me now. It helps me out. But that bothered me. I thought to myself, sit down. Be civil. But I only, I only thought that in church. I didn't think that at the sporting events. I definitely didn't think that at the club. I didn't think that at the house parties. I didn't think that about anything else. I just felt that when it came to God, people should be more relaxed. I just felt like the preacher didn't need to scream that much, Andy. It was inappropriate. We are in a house of worship. And people should just be a little more slack. And I'm going to tell you something. This is not part of today's message. This is free 99. Some of you have been in church too long, so long that you are now being offended by the thing that only offends sinners. And that is, and you, you begin to tell yourself that these are all just optics and illusions. And that person running really doesn't feel nothing. And that person jumping always jumps. And so that jump doesn't really mean anything. Guess what? There's some of us still feeling the Holy Ghost. There's some of us still excited about being saved. There's some of us... There's some of us that when God told us there's promises, there's a marriage, there's a happy life, we were the first ones to run out and take what God. Oh, somebody give God some praise right now. Somebody give God. Come on, praise him right now. Praise This ain't an optical illusion, girl. We really shouting because we're excited. We're really dancing. Yes, we had a divorce, but we're still jumping. Yes, our spouse died, but we still got our hands in the air. Yes, we got a diagnosis we hate, we don't like, but we're still shouting. We're still dancing. We're still clapping. We might be sitting in the back. Amen. Hallelujah. We might have arthritis. We might have a cane. Amen. But we still love Jesus, and we still feel something deep down on the inside of us. And we can't be relaxed. We can't. Oh, somebody praise him, praise him, praise him. I'm just telling you. This is the hard part about Christianity. This is the hard part. This is the part of Christianity people don't want to hear. Is that there's a real danger. I mean, it's real. It's serious. To get slack on Jesus. To get relaxed on Jesus. Hey, I had a guy call me up the other day. He, he, he Good guy. Loves me. I love him. He said, Pastor, I am just going to apologize. Because I know I don't really worship a whole lot. I said, listen, bro. You don't got to apologize to me. He said, well, you know, I just don't want to seem like I'm, you know, I'm just kind of a quiet guy. I said, that's fine. But just tell me that God doesn't have archives on you at the mosh pit. Because, hey, I'm just telling you, Jesus got pictures, folks. He got pictures of you. And if you're out there with your hands up at the Seahawks game, at the Mariners game, I don't know who, I don't know who people worship these days. But I'm just telling you. There's a file on you. And if you come in here slack, if you come in here slack, there's going to be problems. Not between you and your pastor. Because the standard is God. 
And God's going to say, how come you never loved me like that? How come you never shouted for me like that? How come you used to do the two-step in the Watusi, but now you're stuck to the... Now you're stuck to the pew like gum. What's going on? Come on. What's going on? Where's your clap at? Where's your shout at? Come on. Come on. What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? Don't. Hey. There's some folks that still don't like what I'm saying, Andy. They don't like it. They don't, they're, they're, glad I, they're glad I live in California. <laughs> Brother Earls, I was praying in my hotel. And for about 10 seconds, I felt like I lost the Holy Ghost. And when I tell you that an inexplicable dread, horror, and panic came over me, I have never felt so close to a nervous breakdown in all my life. I have never felt such an intense, concentrated form of anxiety. Ever. Ever. Not even prior to committing suicide. Or trying to. And I panicked. I started breathing heavy. I started sobbing. And God said, that's what it's like without me. That's what it's like without me. That's what it's like without me. You got to get to the point in your walk with God where you got a really clear picture in your head of what it's like to not have him in your life. And then fight to keep him in your life. Fight with everything that's inside of you. No slack I'm telling you, I feel bad for people that have no idea what it's like to not have the Holy Ghost. I mean, God bless you. If you've been raised in church, don't you ever leave church. You don't need to leave church. But I am just telling you right now, you don't. You don't want to know what it's like to not have the promises of God. Because the minute you don't have the promises of God, your life will spiral out of control. The minute you don't have the promises of God, I'm telling you, it's anxiety night and day. It's pressure night and day with no help, with no assurance, with no promises, with no hope, with no faith, with no joy. I know, I, I, listen, I've, I've been, I was born at night, not last night. I know there are people sitting here right now thinking, you know, it ain't as bad as he's making it out to be. I'm telling you, my friend, it's worse than I'm making it out to be. It's worse than I'm making it out to be. On my, on my plane right here, on my plane right here, I had a man strapped to my arm, sobbing for an hour. Hey, let's lift our hands and pray for two seconds. Just... Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Brother Knutson, I'm, I'm going to talk to you because you're the least likely candidate. Anybody else going to think he's picking on you? 80,000 Americans die every year of alcoholism. There's people in this building right now struggling with drinking. There's people right here in this building don't think drinking's wrong. Let me tell you something. Something that kills 80,000 Americans a year is wrong. I don't care. I don't care what your fluffy pastor tells you. You listen to this preacher right here. I don't care what you tell yourself because some of you are your own pastors. I don't care what you tell yourself. Drinking is wrong. You, you go ahead and keep telling yourself you only do it once in a while. Let 
And I know somebody's thinking, Pastor, there's fentanyl, there's marijuana, there's cocaine. Let me tell you something. None of that compares to the damage and the ruin that alcohol has had on the American populace at large. 50% of people that commit murder are drunk. 50% of the people that are murdered are drunk. And those 80,000 that die every year of alcoholism or alcohol-related diseases doesn't even account for the damage and the, and the hurt and the absolute chaos they cause in other people's lives. I hope that by the time I'm done, I help somebody out here. I know, I know, I know there's some folks really hoping I'm talking to visitors. I'm talking to some saints that you need to go ahead and quit being so slack about your issue and come to the altar and get that worked out, amen, and get you the promises of God back in your life because there is a promise in the word of God that says he who the Son has set free is free indeed. I'm preaching to somebody right now. The minute you stop drinking, you're going to get your marriage back. You're saying, I'm not divorced. I know you're not divorced, but you and your wife are just living together. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be in love. You're supposed to be thriving. You're supposed to be excited about life. Amen. But your wife, your wife's not happy because she don't want to tell nobody that you got a drinking problem. Your wife is not happy because... Because she's trying to level out the family. She's trying to protect the family name and get you off the bottle. But the problem is you don't want to get off the bottle. You're, oh, you don't want to be an alcoholic, but that's different than wanting to be delivered. And as long as you just, as long as you don't want to be delivered, you will be an alcoholic. You will be drinking. You got to want to be delivered. Delivered. Del it's not enough to just not want to drink. You got to want to be delivered. I'm preaching to somebody right Somebody help me preach right now. Somebody give God some. Oh, I'm, I'm a walk in this. I'm telling I could call you out right now. Hey, and you know why I don't feel bad preaching like this? Because I know Brother Mayo don't want you struggling like that. This is the danger of living without a promise. On the plane right here, in Oakland, California, inside the bar, a man received a phone call from his wife. You know what she told him? We got to get right with God. I'm tired. I'm tired of being high. And I'm tired of you being drunk all the time. We're not talking about a loser here. We're not talking about the dregs of society here. We're talking about a man with a regional job. Clears triple digits. He lifted his cup in the air. And said, if God sits me next to a pastor, I'll think about it. And here I am. Yes, and here I am for you. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to somebody over here in this side of the building, praise God. I'm just letting you know that God doesn't want you living like this. That man was getting drunk. He ordered a rum and coke right in front of me. He got to cussing. He got to And I kept talking with him. I just kept talking with him. And the guy next to him was some sort of a Christian guy as well. And he just kept talking. He kept cussing. He kept getting blitzed and drunk. And all of a sudden, he started shaking. He said, oh, pastor. He, well, he didn't know I was a pastor yet, but he, he said, he said, hey, man, I got really bad PTSD. He's like, I served. I was in the military. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trip out for a while. He started gripping. My wife and my daughters were sitting right in front of me. He gripped the chair right in front of where my daughter was sitting and started shaking it. I, you could just tell this guy had been through, and he's just getting blitzed on the plane. And I don't even understand. You know, I'm just telling you. This is a side note, not really part of anything special. But I don't understand why they tell people you can't get drunk in the airport or get on the plane drunk, but you can get drunk on the plane. dangers of living without a promise. You stop making sense. He said, he turned around, rum and coke. Hey, the fact that I keep saying that makes you thirsty, lets you know you got a problem.
stunk drunk. He said, what do you do anyways? I said, I'm a pastor. I'm telling you, the man started crying. He started sobbing. He, he literally, he doubled over. He doubled over on the plane, fell into my arms, said, pray for me, pastor. Pray for me, pastor. Pray. He said, I was just inside the bar. I, I raised a drink and I told my wife, if a pastor sits next to me on the plane, I'll think about making my way to Jesus. He said, this is not a coincidence. He said, God is talking to me. He said, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live without the promise. When he slumped over, when he slumped over, he, he was buried in my chest. I held the man. I didn't care what the airline stewardess thought. I didn't care what the guy next to me thought. I didn't care. I, I didn't, my wife was sitting in front of me, so I didn't care what the woman in front of me thought. Praise God. I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't, listen, we were flying from the bay this way. I'm just telling you, every liberal, godless person was on that plane. I didn't care what they thought either. I refused to be slack about the things of God. It's just not going to go down like that. Lives are on the line. Come on. We're not talking about church. We're talking about saving lives. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about saving lives. We're not talking about dancing. We're talking about saving lives. We're not talking about a few little songs and clapping our hands. We're talking about saving lives. Come on, somebody give God some praise. There's a... Come on, come on, come on. There's a bad spirit trying to keep some people locked down right now. Come on. Let's praise him for about 10 seconds. Thank you. Thank you, God. God is... Yes, yes, come on. You guys record online. This is online. Is this live? This is live. I'm going to tell you right now. There's somebody right now watching this service from home. They're watching this service from home. You're not here, not because you're sick. You're hungover and you're having withdrawals. And I'm telling you, Pastor Prado's telling you, you need to make your way down to the house of God. Because you're not. Hey, let me just be very clear. Let me just be very, very, very clear with you. It's not easy to get off the bottle. Listen, I really want to. Hey. There's somebody here. I'm just telling you. You got to let that thing, you got to make that thing let go of you. Jesus said, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Not a day goes by that we're not hungry and thirsty. And Jesus said, until you want righteousness every day, you won't have it. I hate to say this because this, this, this sounds very negative to some people, but I have to be honest. You can't receive something you don't want. If you don't want to be delivered, you will not be. You will not be disappointed. If you don't want to be free, you won't be. Don't worry about it. It won't happen. It won't happen. If all Brother Prado does today is get someone to imagine for just a few seconds what their life would be like today without hitting the bottle. You know when I got sober, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I spent half my life inebriated. I'm going to tell you, 
You know, I was a sinner. I was a rotten sinner. I'm telling you, my, I, was, I was a full-blown atheist, didn't believe in God, didn't want to believe in God. Didn't want to do it. Wasn't interested in it. Hated religion. But one day, I started thinking about what would my life look like sober? Like, what would it be like, Andy, if I wasn't high? And then you know what I did the next day? I thought about it again. And then I thought about it again. And then I started thinking about it come the weekend. I thought, man, what would this weekend be like if I stayed home? Like, what would that look like? What would it look like? Getting out of the detox and retox. What would it look like not having to go to a clinic to be restored? And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And one day Jesus started creeping up on me. Jesus started creeping up on me. He says, hey, you're starting to think in the right direction. You're starting to really think in the right direction. You're start and I remember even back then I started thinking maybe I could be a Christian. Hey, that's a novel idea. And I remember thinking, the only problem is I'll have to get rid of all this. I like what one man said. He said, Quit, quitting drinking is giving up one thing to get everything. I'll borrow your bottle. Come on. I know you're not happy with your life, but you got some good stuff left. You really want to do the exchange? A bottle. A bottle. With some liquor. You're going to exchange that for that wife that gave you kids that went through postpartum depression, that cleaned and cooked. She ain't perfect. She doesn't have to be. Come on. You still have your faculties. You still have your health. And even if you're not in perfect health, you got enough health to, you're mobile. You still, you're still, you're still an intelligent person. All that for a bottle? I'd rather give up the bottle. I'd rather give up the bottle and keep the woman. I'd rather give up the bottle. I'd rather give up the bottle and keep my children. I'd rather, I'd rather give up the bottle and keep the brain cells I got left. I'd rather, I'd rather give up the bottle while the liver's still good. Hey. Do you not know you're sitting seats away, seats away from somebody who would take your kidneys? They've never drank. They've never drank. And they would love to have kidneys as healthy as yours, but you don't even want them. The bottle for your kidneys, it ain't worth it. It's a bad exchange. Somebody's thinking, man, Amen. Brother Prado's lost his mind. I'm, I'm preaching so good. I am telling you, there's a person here. You're going to try to twist what I'm saying. But I'm just letting you know that for the next few minutes, I'm going to keep fighting for your soul. Because that's what's on the line. Somebody help me for a few seconds. I said, that's what's on the line. I said, that's. Hey, 
Listen, I got notes. We're closing the iPad. Hey, don't let the devil tell you. I never liked his preaching anyways. Don't let the devil tell you. Who does he think he is? Don't let the devil tell you. He don't know what he's talking about. Don't let the devil, don't let the devil remind you of some nasty rumor you've heard about me. It ain't true anyways. Besides, even if it was, it's not, it's not half as bad about the, it's not half as bad as the things I know about myself. Because I know what it is to be on the pew in a carnal mind. And start weighing out what the preacher's saying. And thinking, I don't know if I, if I really received this. Hey, I'm just telling you. I know what it's like to live without the Holy Ghost. I know what it's like to live my life in drenched. In drugs and drinking. And I know what it is to step inside of a church without the promises of God in my life. And I know what it is to hear a man preach just like I'm preaching to you and say to myself, I don't know if I want that. I don't like his attitude. And I also know what it's like to say, you know what? I don't want to die. And I know I'm going to. Either physically or emotionally, I'm going to check out. And I'm going to check out in a way that's just not good. And I want to live. Because I've had flashes of what life can be like with God. I've, I've had flashes of the promised land. I've had flashes of sitting around Thanksgiving with the family intact. I've had flashes of sitting on the pew with my children. I've had flashes, Sister Eggers, of grandchildren running around making too much noise. Breaking things. But everyone's sober. Everyone's sober. They can run around the house. No one's going to hurt them. There's not going to be a brawl by the Christmas tree. I'm, I'm done preaching. I had more I wanted to say. But you know what has to happen here, sis? People have to want it. Like they have to want it. Nobody can make them want it. But I'm telling you the gospel truth. They're strangers on planes. sitting on the pew he wishes he could be on right now. Surrounded by the people he wishes he could be surrounded. Oh God. Let it be. Let it be that somebody would walk out of here today and go home to the second fridge in the garage and pull out the six packs and dump them. Oh, Lord, let it be that somebody would go to the cooler today. I'm preaching to somebody before you walked out. You left the beer in the cooler and you thought, Oh, it's nice and cold. They'll stay chill. I'll be back. I'm watching you do it in my mind. Oh, let it be that you'll go home today, open up that cooler, 
and call your children and say, I want you to see what dad's about to do. Oh, let it be. Let it be. I don't care. I don't care if it's your grown son. You call that boy next to you. You go inside the cupboard where you got that Hennessy or whatever it is hidden. You pull that thing out. You tell your son, son, watch this. Watch this. Brother Prado read my mail and paid for the stamp. And you know what? I'm glad he did. And son, I've been hiding this. I've been hiding this, son. I've been struggling for the last few months, but son, I'm done. I'm done, son. And I'm going to be your father. I don't like what's happened. I don't like the way things went down. But by the grace of God, I'm going to be your dad till the day I die. Oh, man. I'm telling, I cannot tell you how heavy of a burden I feel. I cannot tell you. I'm. together as a family. Let's pray. Uh, church family, let's pray. They're coming out today. Oh, let's pray. The Holy Ghost is sweeping through this place right now. Every hand lifted up. Hey, we're going to love you through this. Cornerstone, we're going to love people through this. We're going to love them when they fall. We're going to love them when they get up. We're going to love them till they get to heaven. We're going to love them no matter how long it takes to get sober. We're going to love them. We're going to love them. And we're going to pray right now that the love of God, that the love of God would fill this place until people run to this altar and get delivered now. And get delivered now. Not tomorrow, but now. 
I am telling you, the Holy Ghost is not playing games. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. No one's going to shame you. No one's going to condemn you. No one, no one better talk bad about you. I'm telling you, if you come to this altar to get delivered, forgiven, and set free, amen, hallelujah, everybody's rooting for you. Everybody should be praying right now. Everybody should be minding their own business right now. Everybody should just be crying out to Jesus. I need some, I need some prayer warriors to help me pray that people would have the courage to come out of the shadows and out of the caves and get them delivered. Oh, come on. These altars are open. These altars are open. Hey, if you got to come up here on behalf of your husband, I'd come up here on behalf of your husband. If I got to come up here on behalf of the father of my children, I'd come up here right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, I'm telling you right now, if you know your pops got a drinking problem and he's hiding it, I'd still run up up here. And I'd be praying for my dad right now. I'd be praying for he's the only dad I got. I'm going to pray for him. He's been through a lot. He's not a bad man. He's a broken man. And I'm praying for him today. I'm praying for him. <laughs> Oh, come on, come on, come on. 